dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And as always, we are joined by the president of the Reformed African-American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's going on, brother? Man, good, but I'm a little intimidated. I feel like you got some bass in your voice, bro. Like, <laughs> like what you been doing, man? Hey, man. You got to switch up the game now. You know what's, you know what's good. Uh, I don't know if you've been lifting or you just like bold or what, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm on my P's and Q's around you right now. Righteousness, brother. Righteousness. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Jamar? You hanging in there, brother? Man, like stuff like this, we were clowning before the show. That's what gets me through. Uh, like you can't live your life on the Twitter streets. Um, mm-hmm. that, that'll just kill you. You know what I mean? So so community with brothers like y'all uh, has been really good. Um, I just wrote a piece today that we may get into a little bit, and that's been helpful um, just to be able to, it's like cathartic just to get some of my emotions out on paper. You know what I mean? And I, I encourage that for everybody. I don't know if it's, you know, talking with a friend or writing or doing a b- video or or what, you know, making a song, whatever it is. Uh, for me, if if I have all these emotions and they just stay inside, they have power over me. But when I can put them out there and like craft the narrative, it gives me a little bit of agency over those emotions. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You guys can find that. Piece that Jamar's talking about at randnetwork.org. Right now it is live. Stop what you're doing. Go read that and then come back to the podcast. Great, gracious words. Clarifying some of his comments that were made in the, I think it was three episodes ago, two or three episodes ago as you were processing the election. So check that out, Jamar. You did an awesome job. Man, appreciate that. Uh, appreciate your feedback on that. And hey, you know, it not, it's not that everybody got to agree with it, but I feel like one of the ways that we can advance racial reconciliation in the church is just to be honest. And particularly with minorities, so many times we sort of like go along to get along and we keep right. our voices silent. Because we know that if we express our true feelings, it's going to cause controversy. But right. there, there's got to be a few folks out there who are willing to, to go there. And, and I think it empowers others. And honestly, if we want unity, that unity has got to be based on honesty. So speaking just- of speaking of empowerment and honesty, we can't we got some dynamites on the line. So we can't we can't keep holding <laughs> dynamite. Them, they, they got a, their, their fuse is lighting, man. They're getting ready to go. We talk about B.J. Thompson and Adam Thomason on the line. Brothers, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Glad to be here with you guys on Pass the Mic. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Good to be here. Honored to be a part. So we'll see what comes. <laughs> Uh-oh. Man. We're going to have some fun today, y'all. We're going to have hey, some fun today. Hey. Hey. Y'all fam. I got my good microphone. I got my good microphone for this with the pop filter. Come you know on. <laughs> now you guys can follow BJ. BJ Thompson is a part of Build a Better Us. He also does discipleship work with the Navigators. You can follow him on Twitter at BJ116. Yep. You can also follow Adam Thomason. He is an artist, philanthropist, creator, entrepreneur, all the above. You can follow him at Red Rev. R-E-D-R-E-V. Correct, gentlemen? Yep. Yes, sir, man. Thank you. So, so let's get into it. Um, how are you guys processing all that is going on in the country as it relates to the Christian church? Very simply, how are you processing this? 
Yeah, I would say it's, it's a lot of emotions, a lot of directions you can go in. But my process has been with the kingdom in three spheres, the kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of man. Mm. And um, at the end of the day, you have to stay there because you can get lost and kind of start blaming people. You know, you can get lost in history. You can get lost in what has or has not been repented of, what has or has not been admitted. But at the end of the day, a king is going to come with his inheritance to give to his people. And it's just sad to see, I would say, the flesh slash with the enemy divide the kingdom of God on earth through political parties. And we go for it, you know, so that that's 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 where I've been processing, though. BJ knows there's a lot of stuff on the day to day level that I deal with. That That's the best way I could say it. Yeah. Mm. BJ? BJ? That's a great question. So um, I guess just, um, <clears throat> you know, we talk about unique designs and unique gift set. One of my unique gifts is that of a shepherd um, and that of a people developer. And so, you know, part of the way I've been processing this is um, when I'm just hurting for people. Um, I'm hurting for um, the ethnic minorities um, who feel concerned and alarmed by um, very obvious racial tensions. Um, I feel very concerned for um, people who are immigrants, specifically Latino immigrants, specifically Hispanic immigrants um, who have been threatened with deport- deportation. Um, and I also feel broken for people who don't feel anything, um, specifically faith Christians who watching their neighbors wrestle and squirm um, and have no reaction. And I think that's probably the group I feel the most for. Um, And I started asking myself, what is it about um, history and what is it about where you are that you can watch your neighbors um, express great grave concern and you're unfazed? And so, yeah, man, that's kind of where I've been at. Um, And just recognizing kind of similar with Adam, there's a lot of idolatry. um, There's a lot of brokenness. Um, and there's a there's an opportunity for repentance. So Jamar, hop in. Oh, y'all brothers are so like uh, just <laughs> so organized and, mature, and structured. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're making me look like oh man, look. Um, <laughs> just be, be fire. Me and Jamar yeah. just be just be pulling I'll be, back you and fire. See our text messages. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But look, man, real talk. I have been distracted. I haven't been sleeping well. There have been physiological disturbances. You know, um, I have been I have had to be very intentional about rest and laughter and community to try to get through this first week and a half or so after Donald Trump's election. Um And really, the clouds didn't start to break for me in a small way. I think there's still stuff I still have to work through. But they didn't start to break for me until I started writing. And, um, you know, I'm really diving, doing a deep dive in scripture, right? Like, like there's, there's a weight to my devotions now because I feel this external pressure of negativity. And so the Lord has just come through. He has really come through in a powerful way. He seems very immediately present to me in a way mm-hmm. that's not always true. So, you know, it 
at the end of the day, it increases my faith in and devotion to our Lord and Savior, because this is not foreign to him. I mean, whatever, whatever we're experiencing now, he experienced it exponentially in his personal Mm -hmm. life. And and he sees what's going on and he's concerned about it. He's here. He's here. And cares. that should give me immense comfort, even as I just sort of sit with the emotions of sadness and anxiety and anger and acknowledge those as real and true. So that's where I am. Um, I've had to very much humble myself and ask for help and ask for prayers and say, hey, I'm not doing well. I need support. But I think that's healthy. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. I want to alley oop you guys on what Adam said earlier about allowing political parties to divide the kingdom of God. Build on that, Adam and BJ. Why is that? What is at stake when that happens? Why are we seeing that so prevalently happen in 2016? Yeah. We've been through this before. Why are we seeing that in 2016? I I think it's twofold. I think, um, as I tell people, in order to uh, change the landscape and that which you are in, you got to understand the historical landscape in which you are coming into. And so I think, one, people are not aware of enemy schemes, so they blame each other for that which Satan continues to incite us to do for division. I always say a good drug drug dealer never does any of his dirty work. He gets other people to do it. Mm-hmm. So a good So a good deceiver uh, adversary, he never gets, he never does anything himself. He just gets us to do it. Yeah. So in, in 2016, we're still, in a sense, we're still blaming the, as Paul would say, uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So obviously this body won't be present with the Lord. So Satan is still getting us to blame this, this host for these things so specific that it divides the kingdom, right? So, so we got to wrestle with that. So I, so I think we, as Paul said, just going back to really the scriptures, the Bible, we are not aware of the enemy schemes. And from a logistical standpoint, in understanding the enemy schemes, we are not, uh, we don't have the historical empathy to enter people's wounds to move forward. So those are the two things I see. Yeah. So the question is, why do you believe that there's the political um, polarization mm-hmm. and why, why, why 2016? Why now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So one, I think political polarization polarization occurs because power is at stake. I mean, you think about Mm. what um, the serpent told Adam and Eve that God knows that if you knew this information, you would have power. And I think that human beings are consistently tempted with the ability to control their own destiny, um, to become their own God in some senses. And so I used to wonder, why is it that political season seems to bring out the ugly in pretty much everybody. And it's because it's the most visible transference of human power. And so, yes, I think that's part of the reason I concur with Adam. I think that many of us are very naive on a couple of fronts. We're naive on actual unrevised history. Um, Many of the discussions that I have with people, I I can tell just from the way they talk about past events, um, even the way they romanticize American exceptionalism, um, I can just tell they don't know real history, right? But then also, uh, to, to the other point about the kingdom, I think that many of us have bought into a kingdom that fits into kind of this um, 
leave it to Beaver. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus wants you overseas, not in America. Um, or if, if things are not going well, then we're praying for the rapture, right? And let me just refute something real quick. So let's just right. say. So you got to refute. Refute I got to I, I refute it, right? <laughs> <laughs> because many of us are very fatalistic and we assume that because we feel that we've lost prominence in a culture that the Lord is returning. And so we long for the rapture. When in fact, that when when Yeshua came, Acts 1-6, and they said, is, is the kingdom returning now? He said, that's not for you to know. But when the spirit comes upon you, I'll give you power, right? We see the same mm-hmm. thing in Luke. He said the same thing about the wicked servant and those who knew the master's will. And up to the last moment, he showed up. He said he expects faithfulness. And I think that there is a very wrong thinking when it comes to eschatology because we're taught that somehow we have spared the earth and that if we do not spare it or if things seem to be going wrong, then we just need to wait unfaithfully. Um, And so for those of you who are listening and trying to figure out what's next, let's pray. Let's cry. um, Let's process these tears. But just know that Yeshua, Jesus, truly expects for you to be faithful up until the last moment. Um, He doesn't call you to be passive. He is actually calling you to be salt in a world that doesn't know light. Um, And that would mean within your own community. And so I would just say we have to fight those wrong thinkings because they're not biblical. They're they're not um, they're not helpful whatsoever. And I would say they're even anti to the actual will of God. But those uh, those people who call themselves a, a part of the household. So I'm out. Okay. Okay. One of the things. <laughs> One of the things I love about you brothers is the way you inform yourselves, right? Like, like, so your insights are coming from a place. They're not just you like, like, like sitting cross-legged and breathing deeply. You know what I mean? Adam's (laughs) cross-legged right now. He might be, but his sickness self, I don't know, man, might be. Um, Here's my question in order to equip the saints. How do you all inform yourselves biblically and culturally to to come to these insights, man? Because I think a lot of people need tools that y'all are are employing in order to arrive at the places you're arriving at. It's still a journey, but, you know, to get where you are. So how are you how are you equipping yourselves? Adam, why don't you start? Yeah, so I'll be honest, man, a lot of this equipping. Um, I would say happened when I came into the South because South is different from the North. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, for those who, who don't know. And I went to school in Savannah, Georgia, one of the hubs for slavery, slave trade and, and church division among the lines of race and uh, class. And so it was, honestly, when I was met with that it, back in the 90s, I was forced to understand this this division, why are we divided yet? We we talk about Jesus is the best thing on Sunday. So fast forward that, honestly, Jamar, from the 90s up into the into the present, I really <clears throat> I really was scratching my head of how can this like Paul would say, how can how can you allow this man to have his father's wife? Like, why is it OK for us to be just ravenous? divided, like seething in our hearts. And so I honestly, I just started reading history books. Like no one told me. I just, you know, at that time it was dial up. So it wasn't even Google. Wasn't even around. 
Right. So you had to, you had to really go to a library. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the catalog cards and stuff like yeah. that. So, so honestly, man, I just had to read and, and uh, fast forward. How do I how, how do I stay up on it? Honestly, man, you got to sacrifice things, you know. Um, and so to kind of answer that and what I feel maybe maybe a, a deeper thing behind it. I think a lot of a lot of Christians and and I think this is fair, a lot of Christians in America specifically, we don't value understanding history as a key component for being a disciple of Christ. Ooh, come on, run that back. Come come through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we don't I'm gonna run it back for DJ. We don't understand valuing history as a key component in being a disciple of Christ. And so honestly, Jamar, I think that's where a lot of of the uh, naivety uh, a lot of the good heart, but wrong manifestation is still continuing with the wounds and articles we see posted. And you have to scratch your head like, why did they post that? Do they not know historically? That's not right. <laughs> like all these yes. emotions that we yep. have. You see what I'm saying? Bro. So I, I, I'll stop right there. All right. Let me let me let me uh, BJ, you're going to answer next. But let me just come through with this because Adam triggered this thought. I I, I think a lot about uh, the theologian John Frame. And his triperspectivalism. Now, that's a big word, okay. but it just means three perspectives, right? So, yeah. so the way he views scripture, the way he views a lot of things is very simple. He 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 has the normative, the situational, and the existential. Now, the normative yeah. is sort of like the facts. It's 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 the it's it's knowledge as it is, if you will. And and you know, in a sense, you could say scripture, even though there are yeah. tools to interpret interpret scripture, scripture is normative truth that applies to everyone. Yeah. Then he, yeah. he he talks about the existential and and so that's one's individual kind of experience of the world, one's own insight, one's own heart, that type of a thing, individual personal. Then he talks about the situational. And the situational is kind of the external world. It's the social mm, and cultural situation. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, I think reformed theology is, is incredible on the normative. They have mm. incredible biblical tools for interpreting scripture. And, and I think we should attend to that. I think they're even somewhat strong on the existential, although we don't give enough credit to, I think, the emotional side of being human. But, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the pietistic tradition, holiness, fighting sin, that kind of thing, I think, I think that's there. What I think is lacking, incredibly and acutely lacking, particularly in terms of race, is the situational side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would incorporate what you're talking about, Adam, which is the history, like the world as it operates. Like we live in the real tangible world that is sinful and full of sinners. And how do we deal with that and attend to that based on our normative theology and our existential knowledge that God has given us? Come on, Michael. Holy Spirit. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Come on, Bob. That's good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So so basically what he's saying is... You got to read history. <laughs> come on, come on. You know, that's yeah. why I'm doing a PhD in history. It's so informative to our present situation. But that's just me. BJ, how do you inform yourself? Yeah, I mean, I read a lot. I, I mean, I, I'm disciplined in reading. And um, so let me just give our listeners something helpful. So if you were to interpret, you know, um, Jesus saying, eat my blood, drink my flesh, and you just kind of did it at a glance what you would recognize is that apart from the historical backdrop of the Levitical law, 
or even just kind of what he means, you wouldn't recognize why the people were so offended by him saying, in order for you to follow me, you need to drink of my blood and drink my flesh and eat my flesh, right? Um, and so history matters. History allows us to see God's grace operating in real time and the implications for that for us here and now. And so we talk about that a lot when it comes to proper biblical interpretation is that you need to know the historical backdrop. What is the original audience? What would they hear from these authors based off of the circumstances of that time? So Ephesians, when it talks about and the Lord adopted us to know that, to know that that adoption that he's referring to was the adoption of babies at the top of the mountains where they would discard because they had some type of defect, right? Yeah, it yeah. gives you a fuller understanding. I think what happens is after the 15th century with the Reformation, we believe history no longer matters so that when we go to apply the biblical text in our contemporary times and we only have revised history, we actually make misapplications about the what the Bible would mean for us here and now, okay? And so I say all that to say this. If you don't have a healthy, robust understanding of contemporary history, apart from revisions, the way you apply race, gender, um, social classes, um, marriage, um, individualism, um, capitalism will be off because you do not have the one variable. You have now a what they call an eisegesis of the text and not an exegesis, right? And so you need both the true, what was true of that time, plus what's true of eternity. And once you get what's true of the time and what's true of eternity, hmm. then you can say hey, what's true of right now, okay? And so for us, one of, the, one of the reasons why I read history so much is because we have been miseducated. Um, the more I learn about the slave trade, the more I learn about um, the the doctrine of discovery, the more I learn about some of these acts that happened in 1954, I recognize that if I could only know this information, the way I apply and view the lens of right now mm -hmm. would be much healthier for us as human beings. And I'm going to say this last thing. The Bible is scandalous when it comes to telling on itself. The authors are very scandalous Come when it comes on. to confession. We were just yeah. studying Second Samuel 13 about um, David's daughter who was violated. Right. Mm. And, and it forces you to cringe. Right. Because you recognize that part of the reason why she was violated was because of David's missteps. Right. Right. And the Bible doesn't hold back. Why? Because when the truth about man is told, the light of God can be seen. Right. When the truth about Wait, man. Say, yeah, say that. Yeah. Say that again. Say that yes. Again. I'm about to tweet it. <laughs> about, when the truth about mankind is told. The light of God can be seen. Hmm. And I think what we've done in a lot of ways, we've fall, fallen into the lie that if we could revise it enough to make ourselves look good enough, then somehow we can carry the light of the gospel at the same time. When the truth of the matter is, it's not until we confess our sins that he will be faithful just to forgive us of our sins and we'd be able to walk in the light. And so I think part of this, this dilemma that we have that Adam is referring to is many of us haven't walked in a light with our own history. Therefore, when we go to apply it contemporarily, we find ourselves in this place that doesn't match the current reality. And so I read history. I read Bible. 
I read articles, I read blogs, but then I try to process what does that look like in everyday life. And then the last thing is we do training. So if you go, man, we don't know how to do this. We want to hear more. We want to learn more. Then go to Build a Better Us, book a speaker, go to Red Rev, and we'll come out to where you are and help your team process that same thing. So, hey, hey let me say this to, <laughs> to, to, to amplify your plug. Um, a lot of white evangelicals ask me, like they, they're on the racial reconciliation tip, and they ask me, hey, what can we do as white believers in this context to support minorities? And one of the things I said was support minority-led ministries and institutions. Yep. And so Build a Better Us is a prime example. And what I love is that y'all are talking about marriage. Y'all are talking about, about um, I don't know if you call it courtship or what, but before marriage, right? You're yep. talking about singleness and everything up around that. That is such a needed ministry um, for everybody. And so yep. if folks want to support the work of reconciliation in the church, go to build a better us, book them for your next marriage event, your next singles event, whatever. And these brothers will bless you. So yes. And amen to that. And amen. let me, let, Tyler, can I add this? Go ahead. All right. So we the boss, you the boss, doc. No, man, no, man, no, man. <laughs> no, you the host, you the host though. So, uh, I don't want to fight. Um, uh, <laughs> So we talk about the importance of history, right? I just want to give a concrete example that struck me like a punch in the gut. I went to Williamsburg, Virginia this past summer on vacation with my family. And of course, as you know, Virginia, Jamestown, 1619, is where the first uh, shipload of slaves arrived. And so there's a whole bunch of history wrapped up in that in terms of race, but also race and Christianity. And so they have a museum attached at Jamestown that kind of details some of some of the events and happenings. The Virginia Assembly, which was really the first sort of governmental political body in um, what became the United States, they gathered. Uh, long before anything ever happened in Philadelphia or with the Constitution. And listen to this. In September of 1667, they were debating whether baptism uh, uh, would also result in the emancipation of Indians and Africans. And this, um. is, what they, this is what they said. Whereas... Some doubts have risen whether children that are slaves by birth and by the charity and piety of the owners made partakers of the blessed sacrament of baptism should, by virtue of their baptism, be made free. Hmm. It, is, it is enacted and declared by this grand assembly and the authority thereof that conferring of baptism does not alter the condition of the person as to his bondage or freedom. Wow. That diverse Man. masters freed from this doubt. Watch this, watch this, watch this. That diverse masters freed from this doubt may more carefully endeavor the propagation of Christianity by permitting children through slaves or those of greater growth, if capable, to be admitted to that sacrament. In other words, what this law was intended to do was say, look, you can baptize your slaves and it will not result in their emancipation. Therefore, you should feel free to evangelize the slaves because you ain't going to lose them. Wow. Yep. Wow. Can you believe that? So, so yep. look, hmm. this is 1667. This is more than 100 years before the Declaration of Independence, before the Constitution of the United States. So all I'm saying with this, it struck me because – 
you see American Christianity's complicity with slavery and marginalization from the yeah. very start of this nation. And, and, and to think that it's new or that it's gone away would be erroneous based on that. Yep, man. Jamar hit us with that. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Ooh, watch this. <laughs> I got that. I got that from Russ Whitfield. He'll hear it. <laughs> man, that is so. Hmm. I want to piggyback off of something that that BJ said when 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 you were talking about the truth right now. One of the things I like about you two is you guys are manifesto people. You create uh-huh. your own path. Like you look at the scriptures and you look at your world, you look at your context and and you create your own manifesto by which to live by, not rejecting and disregarding the things of the past, but keeping in context the relevant themes of, of our current day. So what does this manifesto look like for you guys as far as a rubric <laughs> by which to operate socially politically as believers, as salt and light. And I'm going to tee you up on one typical thing that is at the top of this list, which is the pro-life theme. How do you guys embody not just pro-birth, but pro-life? And how do you live holistically in that reality as an example of that manifesto? That's not the only thing I have to talk about, but as an example of how you apply scripture, Spirit's wisdom to the context now. What's that manifesto? It's good. You know, we've been talking about this, like stuff that you just read, Jamar, and um, in Memphis, Tennessee, since what about 2006, 2007? Yep. Uh, so like that Red Revolution movement, uh, myself, BH Records, Pride in College, all those. They said this is not relevant, right? So it kind of is a head scratcher to see the church now trying to talk about racial reconciliation. So I'm really don't throw that out there, right? You know what? I, honestly, I've, I've kind of turned my tune when it comes to um, this this quote unquote rubric of being about you know pro life, not just pro birth. And I feel like we can make all those arguments. I feel like we have literally assessments, things that uh, Jamar just read, uh, John Hepper and John Woolman, the Kerner Report, Morningham Report. That really just shows people this hasn't been. If I'm really, really honest, and BJ tested this. I can't deal with the, the white supremacist evangelical mentally anymore. And I'm not saying that, that all are that. I'm not saying that all white, all evangelicals are white and supremacists. But there are those, let me give you biblical language, that I believe are the Caiaphases and not the Nicodemus. So if you're a Nicodemus and you want to know the truth, come holler at me. That's what Jesus was like. But if you Caiaphas and you don't want to lose your seat, I'm done with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel that a lot, a lot of people who... It's clear that this is true, but so you don't lose your seat in your positions of power, you don't want to admit to the fact that 400 years psychologically and traumatically has ruined a group of people what what said Bible in hand, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to talk about the eisegesis and, and the bad hermeneutics. You don't want to talk about the fact that blacks didn't want their own church. The only reason they want to start their own church is because you wouldn't let them in yours, oh. right? So they get saved. So now we... So you want to? Re- Why is the church so divided? Quote me. Because whites didn't let blacks when they got saved into their fellowship. Mm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, true. We gonna go start our own, but but then when we try to start our own, you shut that down because it's too many black people and we can't police it. So it, it's to this point. I tell BJ, and this is me just really being transparent. I tell BJ, like man, I, I here's what I said. I said you you can say it in in, in this sentence. I, I said it in a better way, bro. Go do it. I'm gonna I'm clean it up. Do it. 
And y'all don't see what I said, though. I really believe it is the strong that people refuse to see. They're spiritually blinded to see. And outside of a miracle of God, people won't even recognize that black, black is black. Blue is blue, even if you hold it up in front of them. That that's what we're dealing with. That that's that's truly what I believe. That's where I'm at. Yeah, it's good, man. I appreciate you being honest about that. I think um so Tyler, I believe your question was how do you fight the con the consistency? How do you create the consistency of you said pro life? Give me the question again. How yeah, you- so so just as an overall manifesto of living with the scriptures, with the relevancy of our time and with the spirit leading and guiding you, particularly in an area such as this is kind of like a stronghold within evangelicalism, which is this pro-life conversation. And how are you guys modeling or how are you modeling pro-life instead of pro-birth and its interpretations, all the connotations of that from womb to tomb? Oh, I got you. I don't I don't buy into the binary. <laughs> I think what's what's problematic with it all is we buy into the binary. Let me give you some historical examples. Um, there was a thing called the cultural wars that occurred, right? Um, and many of them led by Jerry Farwell um, Sr., not the current president of Liberty. Um, then there were the James Dobsons. Then you later had Francis, Francis, Schaefer, Francis Schaefer and, and whatnot. And what I would say is we don't buy into the binary. The binary is that if you believe these specific truths, then you are a legitimately child of God. The problem with the binary, it buys into half of the truth and not the majority of truth that includes all people. And so we don't buy into the binary. I don't I don't believe in the culture wars. Actually, the culture wars it didn't start Roe v. Wade. The culture wars, believe it or not, started in the Brown versus the Board of Education. You can check it out for yourself. And you'll see that a lot of Christians were staunch segregationists and they didn't believe in integration. And that's when it started, right? Mm. And so we don't even buy into it. We don't even believe it to be the gospel truth. We see it as partial truth um, that we affirm the dignity of life because God said that he created mankind in his likeness and his image but we also recognize that happens beyond the womb, right? And so what I, w- what I would say is one of the ways that we do it is we just don't receive it. We don't receive it as that. Um, it's what uh, Aquila and Priscilla, um, um, when they addressed Apollos, I think it was Aquila and Priscilla, I believe, who uh, addressed Apollos. And they said they, he only know partial truth. He only understood truth in a particular way. And they had to explain to him the resurrection in a way that was significant to what Jesus had done for all people, right? And so that's the way we view it, and that's the way I view it, is I don't see those culture wars that occurred during the 50s, and then we declared them to have happened in the 70s as to be the gospel truth. We actually use the gospel as truth. We see all life is valuable, and we see that God goes, and Jesus goes, and he redeems the prostitute. He redeems the man. That's blind. He redeems the woman with the issue of blood. He redeems Peter who strayed away and he finds value and dignity because ultimately those people belong to him. Uh, And so the way we do it through Build a Better Us 
is we see marriage and family as something as a pillar of society, as a pillar of um, the covenant, that the covenant of marriage um, is parallel to the covenant of the church. And it actually precedes the church because you see God orchestrate the first wedding before he orchestrates the first church. And so we try to create dignity within that while still honoring the other boundaries. And so, again, we just don't accept cultural um, version of Christianity. We try to read the Bible for what it's worth. And I don't mean in a fundamental type of way. I mean in a having to wrestle through scripture, hear from God, and, and then ask the question. And this is the big question. Is this a way for me to love both God and people? And if I cannot love both God and people, mm. then this may not be consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew 22. That these are the highest commandments. Wow. <laughs> oh, there's so much in that. Um, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me take, let me take it this way. Um, what this election did for me personally, I don't know if this is true for y'all, but what it did for me, because I do reconciliation work, I do podcasts like this one, write blogs, do seminars, workshops, preaching, you name it. What it did for me was highlight how far we've come and the reality that we haven't come as far as I thought we did. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like we got a lot further to go because there seems to be such a big gap between many, not all, but many white evangelicals understanding their brothers and sisters of color and the situation they're dealing with as citizens in the United States. So I'm wondering, in terms of racial reconciliation specifically, do we need to really completely rethink how we going about this thing? Yes. Um, and if so, how? So so jump in on that AT and then BJ. Let's hear from y'all. Yeah. So can I ask a follow up question on that just for clarification? Um, so are you are you so when I hear like the statement of um, really like in a sense helping whites understand what people of color are going through? Um, do you feel this is me sincerely asking, do you feel that that's the ultimate win? And I, I probably shouldn't use ultimate, but I'm going to use it for the sake of conversation. Do you think that's the ultimate win? Yes. No. Why? Why not? I'm just curious. Man, that's good. No, I think it's a step in the process. I think, okay. I think what I'm looking for really is solidarity that you would feel okay. with me, that you would empathize with me. Um, but clearly, as a part of that, is in any relationship, you've 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 got to develop an understanding. So, so you can think of race, racial rela- reconciliation broadly conceived. You can change the terms, but you get you know what I'm getting at. How how do we yeah. come? together closer across racial lines within the body of Christ? And do we need to rethink that? Yeah. Gotcha. So, so do you think, um, do you, do you then think it's a step in the process, right? So you said it's a step in the process. Do you think that that's a, a big barrier because whites, because you may feel whites haven't entered that understanding historically. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Um, I don't know. Let me say this. I do think it's a big old barrier because there is a lack of of historicity. I think there's also a lack of uh, a fully orb sense of what it means to be human so that we like to spiritualize things instead of dealing with the real world with the hope of the gospel in the real world. So so we detach, you know, um, our, our lived reality from our spiritual aspirations. So I think that's part of it. And, and I'll just speak from where I am. Like mm-hmm. I am 
I am in predominantly white evangelical spaces, whether as a denomination, an individual church, the people um, I talk to a whole bunch. It's a lot of white Christians. And so, <laughs> a lot. A lot. And I do have a concern that they would um, understand where I'm coming from a little more clearly. So this whole election makes me wonder, OK, do I need to do I need to have a totally different approach to this thing? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on it. And it could be uh, totally different from the way I framed it. Short answer. I, honestly, I think for, for myself and looking at the, the scope, um, the, the gap in which exists for me, it confirmed what I've always and what our circles has have always seen since 2006. So for me, it wasn't like, oh, man, we haven't come as far. It's like, yeah, th- this is where we are. And, and people fell into the delusion that we were closer. That's that's just one. And that and there are facts in there from doing research and, and looking at history. But two, for myself, I travel a lot and I used to be under, let's just say, the white evangelical uh, umbrella and subculture. I used to be in it. I, I gave 17 years of my life to it. But even when I'm talking to Tyler, man, since when I travel and I go throughout the world, honestly, this is this is this is me not trying to belittle anything. But when I go when I travel into the world, I go, this this seems more like a distraction than it is the kingdom of God. Huh. And maybe and maybe yeah. I've given too much of my energy towards it. Like, so say for instance, like before I went to Haiti, if the if Trump would have one, I probably would have wrote like articles. I would have hit BJ up like, look, my man, we got to do 10 of these Monday joints on YouTube live, right? I would have gave all my energy to it. I go to Haiti and I go, no, nah, the kingdom of God, I need to learn French, right? Because mm-hmm. there are thousands of kids displaced who need Adam Thomason, Jamars, and the BJ. They need love. They need theological training. They need schools. They need food. I ain't trying to convince some, some white person in the evangelical circle that the obvious should be obvious. The obvious. You see what I'm no, no, let's say the obvious. <laughs> it is the obvious. The, I'm saying that's what I'm saying, like obvious. So so just to answer your question, like I just I just realized, and I'm saying that from like Haiti, Australia, uh, Doha, Qatar, and Iraq. I'm like, man, I think people of color, maybe, maybe we're distracted on what our tr- True gifting is for the for the local and global. Like when I look at uh, like just us four right now, if I took us four right now to all these places I went to, we would have a line of people trying Watch to it. get us come back. You feel me? Like, like they see us as as lions in this world, and we trying to convince we trying to convince people in these circles that we are we worthy to to speak on these platforms where people around the world are like, man, come holler at us. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. Wow. So 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 for me, I'm just like, man, I I that that's just the law. I'm like, man, I think I, I think I've been giving too much time to this thing as it pertains to the kingdom and what's going on in the seven billion people, right? Billion. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Tyler threw this out yesterday. He's like, man, a lot of people in my congregation, they, they don't even know. Right, a lot of stuff we argue about, they they don't know about such and such name. I, I don't no want to clue. Them, but yeah, but no they clue. don't have no clue. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was just some wow. that's that's see that's that's the manifesto difference. That's what I'm talking about because you guys view it differently. That's what I'm saying. Because yep. whenever whenever you follow AT and BJ, they're always on a different vein. They're just on a different wavelength. That's that's, that's what, what I'm saying. talking. It's the paradigm shift. The Amen. paradigm shift. Yeah. 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 BJ, what you got? 
Yeah, so so tell me, give me the question again, because AT kind of I'm like, I'm still chewing on it. Somebody give me a two How many languages? How many languages have you been learning in the past two weeks, BJ? That's a question. No language this week. Give me the question again. Y'all stupid. Um, no, I was just saying, do we need to completely rethink how we've been doing racial reconciliation? And like I oh, said, absolutely. you can change the terms or the context or whatever. But but does this election in the in the in the in the blowback make you rethink how you're engaging this issue? Yeah. So I think what's what's difficult about it, Jamar, is Adam and I and our crew, we've already been rethinking it. Um, so I'll give you a perfect example. I was in a small group <clears throat> involved in a racial reconciliation church and, you know, it was. It was awesome, man. It was great to connect with people. But I think that once we went beneath the surface and had to engage issues of cultural difference, history, um, truths, and even assumptions, that's when it wasn't cute anymore. That's when it was like, where are we? How did we get here? And where do we go? And so kind of to Adam's point, we were forced to kind of wrestle with this a lot more early on. Because we actually believe the binary. We believe the narrative of God is the gospel, racial reconciliation, and kind of a buzzword without the intentional, um, painful work of historical accuracy that leads to mutual humility that culminates in grace and transformation of all people. And so I think that one thing for me and just observing it, I think that if we're not careful, the the multi-ethnic church, and I read this with um, Dr. Jarvis Williams, I really appreciate his work on Galatians. It can be a form of a cultural assimilation that says we want to be diverse, but it's really colonialism. And so what I challenge a lot of leaders who call me and text me and go, PJ, what's your take? And they hit me up in private and they don't speak out in public. Oftentimes... Um, Come on, Doc, 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 run it back, run it back. (laughs) So what I tell them is this, you can't have this this thing of multi-ethnic body without real loss of power. And I think that what's happened is a lot of ways, even though we believe that the kingdom of God is distinct in the way it's set up, we still operate in that same old secular caste system that says white is right. And so what I would say in the most humble, loving terms, I think part of the reason why the racial reconciliation churches aren't the most vibrant voice, even in these conversations, and and, and I can say that pretty confidently now, is because in a lot of ways, we haven't allowed ourselves to endure the pain of dealing with actual history structures, all the hipsters, who are planting churches in gentrified communities, even though they really feel a burden and passion to help those people, they haven't dealt with white privilege. They haven't dealt with assumptions. They haven't dealt with the reality that a lot of the things that they, they are receiving is because of the fact that they don't look like the people who live there and people automatically trust them, right? And they don't build dignity into the people who are there yeah given the collective history, and I think it's an exegetical work, the way we exegete passages uh, and the way we think about scripture. And so what I would say is 
one way that's helpful for churches that are looking to multi-ethnic one book, Adam and I will come out there and train you and hopefully share with you some insightful things that help you move forward. So don't try to do that on your own. Bring some people who can bring language to that, who can give real time um, feedback to that and also push back to maybe some wrong headed thinking things that haven't considered your own privilege. Second thing is this, you have to have an unrevised history. And the problem with unrevised history is that it takes away from ethnic privilege. Um, and so what I would say, if you're trying to be multi-ethnic, one of the ways you have to do it is to newly inform yourself. Go to my page. I always try to present 70 resources for people. They go, I don't know what's going on. I need some help. Here's 70 resources to help you begin to be reinformed so that you can apply the truth in a meaningful way that allows you to be authentically multi-ethnic. So that's what I would say in terms of trying to redirect that narrative of multi-ethnic. But we have to reconsider history in an unrevised way. Yeah, BJ always has that link ready. That link is, is ready to go. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Always. Well, we yeah. could talk for hours. Gentlemen, we don't want to hold your, your time too much. But any final thoughts, any parting words, resources um, that you're chewing on right now to maybe have this, this different paradigm shift? Any any final thoughts from from each of you? We'll start with AT and then BJ. Okay. Yeah, I always say um, the issues that you deal with are not as big as you think, and the kingdom of God can unite despite our differences. It can unite us despite our differences. So yep. I don't know if you want if you want some real resources. Um, from an educational standpoint, read a book, The Half That's Never Been Told by uh, Professor uh, Edward Baptist. Baptist, Edward Baptist. Cornell professor. Powerful yeah, book. so that, that one's good. Yeah, if you want um, you want a book that's going to challenge everything that was told to you, read um, Slavery in the Early Churches from 1619 to 1819 by a guy named Lester B. Scherer. Um if you want to, you know, just be challenged in understanding um, British history, there's a book on, on Britain and understanding the slave trade and history by a, a lady by the name of Linda Cully. And what's good about that is that it shows how the British sees America and how and why they came to America. It's not as America tells it. So it's just good to see someone else um, look at that. And so at the end of the day, I'll go back with the the word that. Jamar used solidarity. Uh, solidarity enters into each other's wounds mutually. Yeah. And sometimes I think we need we we believe our wounds need to be healed in order for us to partner and move forward. And yeah. I, I don't believe that that's true. Like God pursues us despite our wounds and he calls us to pursue each other in our wounds and, and, and heal together. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. BJ? That's a good word. So <clears throat> I got a couple of words. So one. I think that one thing that I've tried to encourage brothers and sisters in is this, is find people who are experts in the area already and empower them. I think that too often we, we attempt to do things that we, we're not good at. And so, again, I'm very serious about booking myself or Adam. Um, we're both speakers and trainers and leaders, and we want to journey with people through this process in a way that's very unique to their context. Second thing I would say is this. Um, Read expansively. You know, what's hard about being tribal is we read 
a few authors. We recycle these authors throughout the ecosystem. We don't find ourselves reading books that are beyond that. Um, Abraham Kuyper has a um, quote. He says, there's not one square inch of the universe. that said, Jesus can't say mine too, right? We know that all truth is God's truth, whether that is um, the laws of physics, the laws of science, um, the laws of um, whatever, the body. Like we see those are all God's truth. And I would say, be open to studying those. Don't make the secular sacred divide. And um, a couple of resources that will be helpful. I'm glad Adam mentioned the the half that have been told. Really great um, because we have been intentionally taught uh, a revised version of history. Um, I would also recommend, on top of the books that Adam's recommend, two two books. Um, one is called Bad Religion, um, and just kind of what it looks like for us to be engaged in this idea. It's by Lloyd James. I mean, it's by uh, Ross. Do, do D O U T A. Ross do that, yeah. Yep, yep. So that that book. Also, there's another book, Body by Fate, um, by Emerson, which is a great book on how it's easy for us to believe the faith and yet be divided, um, and why we're divided. Um, and then, like I said, empower minority-led organizations. You know, one of the ways that we can deal with some of the presuppositions about culture and where it's going and why we're going there is by giving away power. Um, and that's healthy for us. The last thing is this, and I want to leave with some encouragement because I think we need to be hopeful. You know, it's scary to imagine um, a new type of world. I, I do a lot of counseling and I find that people who have ventured into new territory are fearful about what that change is going to mean for their lives. And what I want to encourage for the listeners who are trying to be learners, feel like, man, they make mistakes, is this, is that the grace of God covers mistakes. Um, If the cross enough is big enough to take my shame and my sin and my lust, it's it's big enough to take my racial ignorance. It's big enough for me to make mistakes with brothers and sisters who I don't intend to make mistakes with. And it allows me to be honest about things that are happening and not to deflect to the faults of others but to embrace those things so that I can be, and this is the last thing, I can be more liberated by God's grace because he's freeing me of idols, right? And so that's what I would encourage people. As you take this journey, it is going to be a letting go of idols, not you becoming a social justice warrior, not you becoming a liberal, not you becoming a Marxist, but you becoming a more convicted challenger and follower of Christ. So. See, see, Tyler was skeptical. He was like, oh, I don't know if we should have AT and BJ on. <laughs> I don't know if these brothers are sharp enough. But I Thanks said, for your honesty, bro. <laughs> Total lies. Thanks for your honesty. Where'd that beat at? Where's the outro? Where's the outro beat at, Bo? I got some cards. Outro beat. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. We were both highly anticipating um, every time y'all brothers come on, we are enlightened. We are blessed. Thank you so much for the labors you do. I mean, so much of what you do, folks don't see. It's the hours of study. It's the prayer. It's the preparation. And then you give us just a little tip of the iceberg in podcasts like this. So we do appreciate your labors. Like I said, book these brothers, support minority-led ministries, visit Build a Better Us. Um, Thank y'all so much. Appreciate your wisdom cool Thank you, guys. absolutely thanks thanks for having us 
Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com.